Let me introduce Beck Barnett. She is a clinical psychologist uh, who has her own practice here in Melbourne and she also works one day a week for Eden Australia. We've had a little bit of a taste already watching that video uh, and we'll hear a bit more about that later. Uh, but we we'll want to uh, get to know a bit about Beck and I thought I would just start off by talking about how you and I know each other and that's uh, that Beck was actually a member at the last parish that I was at, St James in Ivanhoe, and she was a key leader there and also uh, she was on the kids' church team. And I don't know whether you remember this um, kids' church leaders' meeting, but I had an exercise where I had six different books out yeah. and I had six kind of dream holidays and I didn't tell the leaders that they all reflected one of the six dreams oh, yes. that we're talking about. Yeah. And you chose a book that was about social justice, and you also chose. A ho Do you remember what the holiday was that you chose? No, I can't. The holiday I was, hope it was Fiji. That you could. No, it wasn't because it was a relaxing kind of cooking thing. But you didn't go Ooh. for that one. What you went for was the. You could go to um, a developing country with Habitat for Humanity and help them build. Oh, that does sound cool. So yeah. So I knew straight away that Beck was definitely uh, a social justice someone who absolutely loves to lean into the social justice stream. And uh, that also was borne out because at Kids Church you were also uh, a, um, a driving force behind the fundraising that the kids did for the Tear Fund, which ran for a couple of years, and your girls were involved in that as well. So I've, I think it's fair to say that social justice is very much in your DNA. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I was wondering if you could share with us uh, a little bit about your early years. Yeah. And if you think about... Uh, so when you think about the young Beck, yeah. and think about your early years, like were those seeds of um, a passion for social justice present in your young life, would you say? Yeah, I think the driving forces behind that were obviously my parents in the community that I was in then, and I was really fortunate to go to a very small, used to be very small community Christian school, and so we were immersed in this idea of being focused on the other. So that was very much the way my family operated, being heavily involved in the local church, but also exposing us to things that um, other Christians in our world were doing. So I think just the basic exposure is probably what sowed the seeds for me in the early years, which is probably pretty similar for many of us here who grew up in Christian homes. Mm. Yeah. What sort of things did your family do? How, how did that sort of... So my family was uh, heavily involved in building and starting this Christian school. So I think I grew... I know I grew up watching my parents be very involved and active in all these arenas. Um, that they took us to and that exposed us to. Um, and so I, I'm really, I feel so fortunate and blessed because that was for them a way of life and having an open home and having um, the church use our home. So that's probably the early formative years. Mm -hmm. um, and then going into teenager and early, 20, uh, early 20s, um, I found groups to be involved in that kind of grabbed my passion. So I was, you know, leading on camps, as again many of us have probably done, but particularly with organisations that catered for kids that were referred from disadvantaged um, organisations, so those social work sort of groups. 
Um, so doing that sort of thing really, I loved engaging in that sort of thing. Um, and then early 20s and um, being a bit younger, I managed to have some time over in Southern Africa and was exposed to lots of things that I uh, deeply desired to be changed in the world. Um, yes, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. It's a lot of formation that's happened over a, a number of years. And when you were growing up, the church that you kind of knew was your family church. Would you say, if you think about a church as being kind of uh, heavily um, reflective of one of the particular streams, would you say, which stream would you say? Would I think evangelical. So, um, funny enough, grew up in local Anglicans mostly, and that was very much the emphasis. Um, as most of our local churches also exposing us to what missionaries are doing overseas as well. So all these things sow the seeds. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah, that's great. And we would hope and, and wish for an overlap, of course. We've been talking about how healthy spirituality is actually having a, a rich spirituality that expresses yeah. and leans into the different streams. So um, when you think about um, the scriptures and... Uh, you know, when you think about the life of Jesus, would you say that there are particular parts of the Bible that really resonate for you? Any favourite verses that you have or stories of Jesus that, that really kind of light your heart? Yeah, the, the couple of things that stand out to me from the many parables and stories that we have in the Gospels of the way Jesus um, behaved towards people, there's a couple of things that stand out to me and the two stories that that I always come back to in my own faith journeys, um, that one of the workers in the vineyard, and um, they were promised a wage for working for the whole day, and then uh, what seemed quite unfairly, some others came, you know, halfway through the day or whatever, and they were given the same wage at the end of the day, which in terms of some definitions of justice and fairness just doesn't make sense, right? Um, and something that strikes me about the way Jesus behaved then and then similarly in another story where you'll remember the one where Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well and she was by herself and the disciples had gone ahead and they came back and the scripture actually says showed amazement that Jesus had been talking to this woman um, and found out that indeed even the man she was with at that time was not her husband but the things that stand out about Jesus in both of these stories is his radical generosity and in people that I aspire to be like that's what I see as well and Jesus time and time again shows radical generosity in the way that he um, shows kindness and care and empathy towards those people who perhaps are on the margins or the traditionally disadvantaged like women um, particularly in those times so they're two stories that stand out to me really strongly. Yeah, that's great because I hadn't really remembered that story about the vineyards and the workers and that yeah. manifest yeah. of it's not about an earning, that grace yeah. that um, the justice also entails a grace to people. Yeah, and in, in justice that is restorative of the whole person, Jesus always shows generosity and kindness mm -hmm. and I think if you know we're going to get on to some ideas around, um, we'll talk about it at the end with the beautiful little card you've given us, but those three arenas that justice plays out in our lives, 
that from the personal relating through to wanting to change what's happening in countries at an institution level, we also need to have both of those features of generosity and kindness in, in bucket loads, really. And I think that's what Jesus shows us in, in every story we have of him in the Gospels. So you shared a little bit about um, the social justice stream and we know that you've had um, quite an evangelical heritage. I know you've, it's not just the church you grew up in, but most of the other churches as well were pretty much strongly evangelical. If you were to name, because we're talking a lot about the six streams and how we'll each have our favourite way of connecting with God and being used by God for the sake of others, and to grow his church, but we're also trying to work out, you know, what is the invitation for us to step into a stream that perhaps is less familiar with me or one that I might even resist? So if I was to ask you, Beck, is there a stream that you find yourself um, less familiar with or resisting in some ways? Would you be willing to share? It's a really hard question because, you know, each of them... Uh, have struggles, don't they, when we see them listed. It's just like this, how do we aspire to be like Jesus in all these ways? It feels really, um, well, it feels impossible if I'm honest. The one that catches me a lot is the holiness tradition. And, and I was challenged to think about why is that? Why is there an internal resistance? And if I'm being really honest, it's because when I aspire to be like Jesus and show the integrity in my personal relationships, and as that plays out in terms of the person I am at work and with my first family and now my children, it's really hard work showing integrity in all these areas. And my brain wants to, if I'm gonna try and do it, I wanna do it perfectly, and I can't. And so when I fail, as I do constantly, that's a real challenge for me, and it, it's something I know internally that I resist naming that I wanna to work towards. So whereas we know that naming these things and bringing arenas in our lives where we have accountability with things we want to work towards and we aspire to, um, that's the real catch for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have you, um, given that's a little bit of a challenge or a bit of an area of resistance, do you try to do anything to help yourself open up to that? Is there anything practical that you do? Do you know, I have really daggy kind of thing that I that I do try and do. I've got those really daggy, you know, things up. Some of you might have them in our house. We try to hug a lot and smile a lot, you know, these things. Because it's great when the kids were little, but I'm living with my teenagers now. But I still try and do this thing we used to do when they were really little and each week try and focus on a virtue. So, you know, the classic for me is patience. Okay, let's try and focus on patience this week. So some daggy little intentional ways to try and do that, I find helpful. Um, and again, we try and we, we need to keep trying. And the other thing that I think keeps me doing that are the um, fellow Christians that I meet with regularly, um, both in structured ways and unstructured ways. And those are the spaces that I feel like I can be honest and ask for prayer for and for some of those ways where holiness is not being played out well in my life. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so honestly about that. Um, 
tell us a little bit about your work as a psychologist because uh, we'd love to know a little bit about your, your day job and also how that, uh, that psychology background actually plays out in your work with Eden. Yeah, so when I'm not uh, doing something for Eden, which we will get onto as well, um, I'm a clinical psychologist only in private practice at the moment. I work three to four days a week. I try and keep the days where I see clients to three days a week, usually successful, some seasons not. Um, the areas I work with mostly, the list is the trauma work, PTSD. I also work with um, people with eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety and depression. So that sort of stuff is my um, bread and butter and I really love my work. Um, yeah. So I'm in a clinic in Thornbury at the moment, so I see a wide range of people over the age of 21 at the moment. Great. So do you want to tell us about Eden first and then talk about how psychology plays? Yeah, that there? probably makes yeah. sense. Okay. Well, why don't you go yeah. ahead and share with us about Eden? Sure. We'd love to hear. So Eden is an organisation that has been going in different forms for about 20 years. It's an anti-trafficking uh, organisation. Currently focused, their work is in Myanmar. It used to be in China as well, uh, but it got more and more difficult to do what we do, and they are a faith-based organisation in Myanmar. So it got more and more difficult to do some of those aspects in China. So now they're primarily focused uh, working with women and girls who've been trafficked for the purposes of sexual exploitation. So there is a slide that shows modern slavery and the way that it's split up. That's the one. Um, so as you're probably all aware, um, slavery, I know that you talked about it when Helena did a talk on social justice a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? And you heard about John, um, who had been very active in abolishing slavery. But what we know these days is that there's more slaves than ever in the world. Um, Myanmar is what we call both a destination country, so people are brought into Myanmar for the purposes of sexual exploitation or child brides, and it's also a transit country where people are taken through because it's an easy one to get people in and out over the borders, unfortunately. So Eden works in that space on the right. Um, so forced labour is definitely an area of slavery alive and well in the world, um, but Eden works in the space of either forced marriage or sexual exploitation, being, people being forced to work in um, brothels. And these are, not <clears throat> these are not settings like we have in some of our suburbs in Melbourne. These are places of um, absolute dirt floors and horrible treatment of women. So every woman that comes into Eden's programs has been through trauma and had many, many crimes committed against them. Um, so Eden operates in a way that's quite different to many anti-trafficking organisations in South and East Asian countries. They don't go in with bells and whistles and do big rescue operations. They, they build relationships with the people working in this industry. 
Um, they have outreach teams that go out each week and befriend the women and when they can and hopefully in the early days they will slip them a card with the details of who to phone or how to escape to Eden or, what, or whatever way that can happen. Sometimes it happens that the outreach teams are so well known to the people running these centres that actually the brothel owners and the pimps might actually say, can you take her and get her help medically and then bring her back? And you can imagine how hard that is. Um, but the workers at Eden are in it for the long haul. Um, so uh, I was just looking at some of the stats, which, which are amazing. And, and over um, in 2022, uh, over a three-year period, at least 200 women were taken through the whole program, which actually, can we grab that slide that's got a bit of a diagram of the different programs that Eden offers? Um, and graduated from that and went on then to work in a small business. So that's the ultimate goal, that Eden works in a holistic way to take women out of these scenarios in which their dignity, their freedom has been completely stripped away and offers them these outreach programs, including uh, trauma counselling, um, testing for all the sexually transmitted diseases, and then offers them safe housing. And the model that we're using is that they're given, when they enter into the program, they're given a full-time wage, but they work in the international jewellery business, which produces such beautiful things. They work in that business for half a day, and the other half of the day that they can do the counselling, um, art therapy, dance therapy. In the last two years, we've set up a new permaculture business, which is another great social enterprise, um, with the goal of them eventually moving on to some form of vocational training. If they choose to remain in the jewellery business, that's fabulous, and many of them do, or they may have a dream to become an accountant or a beauty therapist or whatever it might be, and Eden works with them to do that, or to repatriate them back from where they've been stolen and reunite them with their families. A lot of work and funding goes into that as well. Um, Can I ask you, how did you come across Eden? Oh, it's a really funny story. I have a sister-in-law and she has a sister and she runs it in Melbourne. Oh, right. Yeah, so it's a bit of a family yeah. thing. And so there's about six of us in Melbourne who are all volunteers and we now employ um, Michelle, the one person. Um, she doesn't get a lot of money. And then two years ago, we managed to start employing someone three days a week. So, and he sets up all our computer programs and the international business. So he and Michelle, between them, manage all the jewellery stock, the business that has got about six centres across the world, a very small one in the UK. We're hoping that develops soon, one in the Netherlands, one in Hong Kong, so, and um, Eden Australia, which exists solely for the purpose of funding the work that goes on overseas. So our job and role in Australia is to sell and distribute jewellery and more and more we're getting into wholesale um, retail spaces. So it's pretty exciting work. Yeah, it's great. great to be part of. That's great. So if I'm, because I understand yes. Friday is usually your day. When you're Friday or Monday, Friday yeah. Friday or Monday. So if I'm watching yeah. video of Beck at work with Eden, yeah. what am I watching? What am I seeing? What oh, are you actually doing? So it varies from 
uh, organising the online orders. Most of our purchases go uh, are, are online now, so you'll get the website up at some point, so you too can look at all the pretty things to buy. Uh, organising all that, organising stock, so there's that kind of humdrum um, grunt work that just needs to be done. I do a lot of the proofreading and uh, of newsletters and um, I do a lot of the background legal and that sort of stuff because we're a registered charity in Australia, so I do some of that stuff. Um, a lot of the, the stories that you see in catalogues such as this one, you're welcome to take them tonight. Um, the stories come through because we're in weekly contact with the teams in Myanmar and I do my best to try and turn it into English and that sort of stuff. So there's all that um, that I do behind the scenes too. So I love it. The other thing that I'm really uh, excited about being part of is the trauma counselling that they offer on the ground over there. And they've now had about 15 people go through trauma tra um, training. There's two clinical psychologists that are on the ground there. So I also love to be involved in resourcing them and, um, and doing a bit of training. So pre-COVID, we had a big uh, training week in Thailand and I went over and did a lot of um, training with working with PTSD and trauma. Um, so that, that was pretty exciting to be part of. So what have you learned about the human condition doing this work? Whew. Uh, I've learned that um, there is no limit to what human beings can do to other human beings that breaks our hearts and breaks the heart of God. And weekly our hearts are broken by the stories that we hear come out of Myanmar. But um, the workers over there are very, really um, determined to be spreading the stories of hope and courage. So their mantra is that we really want to share light and share hope with the belief that there is no place so dark that God cannot go and shine his light. Um, and that is what keeps them going and that is what keeps us praying and working hard every week for the work they do because we really want to support them. They're amazing people. Um, and, you know, what, a standout moment for me was when the lady, Lisa, who founded Eden, came over a few years ago and we ran, we ran a lot of fundraisers and had some really great nights. Um, but we were having lunch as a team, just the six of us with her, and she was sharing about the permaculture project that was up on the board uh, uh, just a moment ago had just begun. And the person that had put his hand up to head that up was an ex-pimp of one of the brothels. And, and I remember just, what? <laughs> and Lisa was very clear in the fact that Jesus has love for everyone and that our work is about extending that love and generosity and kindness to everyone in the industry. Um, and that continues to stand out to me. So, yeah, this woman is incredible. She has no judgment in her. <laughs> So, and I can learn a lot from that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So last week um, in the talk, that, or two weeks ago in the talk that I gave, I talked about the fact that um, all, um, all uh, advocates for social justice are essentially disruptors. And yeah. Jesus, is, Jesus was disruptive and the mm. incarnation was disruptive. And mm. I love, there's this beautiful verse where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants but friends. Mm because friends don't know the work that the master is doing. And what I love about him in this is you are so clearly a friend of Jesus, partnering with him in this work. And I just want to know, what have you learnt about 
the Lord doing this work or how has your relationship with God sort of changed or deepened or through all the stories that we hear regularly what I firmly believe now about those who've experienced trauma and deep hurt from other human beings is that Jesus is there in it with them and and that's absolute gold because sometimes when people have had everything stripped away, including their hope and dignity, that's what keeps them going. And the work that Eden does, and indeed the way we also in our world here want to reach out to all peoples that we come in contact with, it takes that being able to let go of our preconceived ideas and assumptions about people and a desire, I believe, and we can seek the Holy Spirit on this, but to see people as Jesus does, like to truly see others through his eyes. Um, and so that's probably been one of my biggest learnings over these years um, of, you know, carrying trauma from the stories that we all hear and working with the team in Australia who, uh, who also get very traumatised and deeply saddened by the stories that we hear going on. Did that answer the yes, question? Yes, yes, wonderfully, thank you. Uh, I believe we've got a video to show. Yeah. yeah. Yes. This is a story from one of the ladies who've been through the program. That learning to speak up was the key to my freedom. I was born in a poor village and it was hard for my family to survive. With eight children to feed, we moved to the city in the hope of a better life, but it did not get better. Soon after the move, my mother passed away. My father walked past and tried his best to look after us. He remembered, but still we struggled. When I was 15, my stepmother's sister put my father up on a good job for me in a Mongolian country. He hoped for a better future for me and had me tied before I left the town. After the long journey, my aunt and I arrived at the desert. I slowly realized that this was my aunt's brother and this was the new job she had promised. I was so scared. I begged and begged her to take me home. She said my parents had already taken money from her, so I had to walk. If I complained, it hurt me. I felt so scared and alone. Every day I would look up the window at the moving house and wish that I could jump on that. I just wanted this to stop. My aunt forced me to tell lies about my situation, which hurts the people I love the most. One day, I managed to speak a phone call to my father. He immediately told the authorities and police arrived as well. My aunt and the pimps were arrested. I was scared and ashamed to face my family. I barely spoke. My father was worried for me and wanted to get me help. The authorities told him about Aiden. When he and I arrived at Aiden, I didn't want to speak. I didn't want anyone else to know what I had done. At Aiden, they didn't like that I was quiet. They were kind and cared for me. I still did not speak. I thought that if they knew, they would reject me. 
Counseling helped me understand that I was not to blame. The other is beautiful men shared their story of hope and love with me. Finally, I was able to forgive my aunt, my parents and myself. In those past days at Aden, I loved making the jewelry. I could sit and listen to the other girls talking and laughing. I was surprised that I could make something so beautiful. After being here for a year, I graduated and even offered me a full-time job as their jewelry workshop manager. When a new woman arrives at evening, I welcome her and teach her how to make the jewelry. I speak words of hope and love. I want to use my voice to help them find the courage to heal because I remember how I needed those messages of encouragement when I first came to Aden. When someone puts on a piece of Aden jewelry, they speak up for women like me as we walk to find our own voice again. to get overwhelmed with the statistics mm. but uh, for that young woman that's changed her whole world and mm, such a, absolutely. a beautiful message of hope so thanks for that mm. so uh, I asked you uh, when we were getting ready for our conversation for you to put some thoughts around some ways that we could all lean more into the social justice stream and you gave us you gave me some ideas and I put them on a resource so that people can um, have these, so I'll get mine to just hand those out. And I'd just love, um, I'd love you to just talk through us. Um, yeah, so maybe somebody else can help Mark hand those out to everybody. Um, so this is Beck's hot tips for how you too can <laughs> lean into the social justice stream and make it, uh, make the compassionate life something that you also express. Um, I feel like we could have a bit of an open forum in here in the room. What other th what things here people here are involved in as well? Because there's so much to be involved in. Um, the top section of the card that Helena's put together. Um, one of the key authors in the area of spiritual formation, Richard Fo Richard Foster. Um, one of the great sentences. One of the ways he thinks about social justice is that our work can fall under three great arenas, um, and that we call on the spirit of God. Uh, to help us in each of these. Uh, so breaking it up into the, our personal relationships, uh, the societies in which we live and the wider institutional structures that again we want to, um, in the social justice way of living, uh, that's where we often see people doing disruptive practices and changing things at that institutional level. Um, so at the personal area, for the work of Eden, we see things happening at this individual level, such as the beautiful story we saw here. They are also making societal change, working with the whole industry um, of the uh, sexual exploitation that these women have been um, put through. But they are also linking with the needs of the women um, and the girls who fall into this entrapment because things that drive 
uh, human trafficking in the world are things like poverty and debt bondage that families in countries like these get into. So that's uh, one way that they're working at the societal um, level. And then at the institutional and the structures um, in this nation, they work alongside the huge aid organisations that are in most of these countries, such as World Vision or Plan International. They refer people in between these, but they also work with the human trafficking police, um, you know, which is a bit touch and go in, in, on many of these borders. So breaking this down into where we want to be um, focusing in our lives, again, I think it's about wanting to think about in my personal life, in the society I live in, because this turns out to be where God has placed us in 2023. Um, he's asking us to live in Melbourne and work and play in these areas. And sometimes even that can be a struggle um, because there's such great need out there. That's one of my personal struggles, but saying, so God, here I am, parenting, working in a really privileged city, how can you use me and my specific skill set uh, for your good and for your glory? And that's something that I want to encourage each of us to be asking every week, every year of our lives. Because um, there's seasons in our lives, right? And I'm personally, I'm kind of holding God to that as well. That this is the season I'm in, this is not forever. And there's a whole big world out there that we, we might be able to be doing different things in. Anyway, that was, sorry, a lot for that sentence. It was all good though, all good. <laughs> so, if this is a, um, a stream, a way of following Jesus that you might be aware you want to jump into a little bit more, there's a few questions there that we would encourage you to have a look at. Starting with what are you passionate about? Where do you feel a holy disturbance? That was um, a lovely phrase that Helena spoke of a few weeks ago when we were starting to think about this. Um, but what really grabs you? Another question might be, what breaks your heart when you look around? What do you really want to see changed? And one of the remarkable things about the life of Jesus is that we see whenever he was enacting, bringing about justice to this broken world, he wasn't only there for the poor and the marginalised and the disenfranchised and um, those that were having some prejudice thrown against them. He's also there for the privileged and the rich because indeed he did create all of us, right? And not only is that a huge encouragement for us, um, but it's a reminder that at all levels and layers of society, we all need Christ. Um, so just throwing that one at you too, it doesn't have to be that we feel a passion towards something like what you've seen on the screen tonight or poverty. There are so many layers and ways that God wants to bring health and wholeness to his world. I think it's also really important to look at your own life experiences and perhaps your own struggles and also again perhaps the ways we have been uh, living in privilege. What does that prompt us to want to see change in our culture, in our society? So choose your own adventure, find out about things and be intentional in looking at how the themes of justice and compassion can be enhanced here. So. Is that enough about that stuff? Mm. There's a whole bunch of um, websites down the bottom as well. Uh, this is Eden is on there uh, as well. The others there, Be Slavery Free and um, 
the IJM, International Justice Ministry, both of those are fantastic resources. And those two websites are what we have based our talks and workshops when we go into youth groups or high schools and talk about human trafficking. Um, that's where we get a lot of our current information and ideas from. The websites like those are just full of information about human trafficking around the world and not just in the area that Eden works in but also in the area of forced labour um, which is also happening under our noses in Australia as well. Yeah. Okay well um, before we let you go I thought we could just open it up to any questions people might have. I might grab that roving mic and let you have that one but if anybody's got a question that they wanted to ask Beck um, otherwise, I've got a question for you. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself? Through the work with yeah. Eden? Yeah. Ooh. Um, what have I learnt about myself? I've learnt that it can be important to not just focus on what we see before us, um, but also ways to expand that to in a global sense. So that's been an encouragement for me, having a personal struggle about, oh, why am I in Melbourne? There's so much to do in the world, you know. Um, so that's been a learning for me to just be content where, as I mentioned just before, with where God has placed us now, um, but to be open to, uh, and it was almost like, working with Eden kind of because of that family connection kind of just came into my life and then all of a sudden had these parallels with working with women in Melbourne who've been through terrible traumas. I do mostly sexual assault work so there's those parallels too. Yeah beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a little gift for you just to say thank you for coming to speak thank to you. us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks everyone. And